see that you all were able to spring forward today. <laughs> Why did they ever come up with doing a, a daylight savings time the first Sunday after, after you start spring break? I mean, somebody was not in a bad mood that day or something, I don't know. I'm sure my historian friends down there would probably tell me exactly how it came to this day, but nevertheless, it's here, so I'm glad. It's good to see you. If you came in this morning thinking this was the 9.30 service, we welcome you too. <laughs> so, no. Anyway, I mean, I, was, I went to bed in fear that last night. I had to check my, because I used the alarm on my phone to make sure that my phone would actually change at 2 o'clock, cause, so I'd make sure I got up at the right time. I started to change it, and then I would have woke up two hours earlier. That would have not been good. Huh? So, um, but anyway, this morning I'm going to continue in the Gospel of John. Um, this John, the apostle, he had picked up pen to write to a, to a church, to a people of God, who had begun to experience some, some false doctrine in the churches and began to experience some doubt about who Jesus was and that Jesus and what he proclaimed. And so John picked up pen and began to write this gospel, and he tells us why he wrote it over in chapter 20 when he says, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in him. Now, I'm praying, one of my prayers when I started this study, and, and since I don't get to go every week, that over this time, by the time I get finished, you will be able to quote that exact same thing. And so if someone says to you, Why, you know, what's the purpose of the Gospel of John, you could quote those verses and you'll know, right? And so this morning when we walk into chapter 9 of the Gospel of John is where we're at. When we walk into chapter 9, it's one of the most powerful chapters of belief. And by that I mean that if you are unsure about who this Jesus is, this chapter will confront you with that. It confronted the, the participants of this, of this account that John writes. Now when I, when I talk about the Gospel of John, I want you to understand some things. Number one, that John was a firsthand uh, account of, this, of these things. In other words, he was there. He talks about in 1 John how he handled and he touched and he heard and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he writes these things, he's not writing from a second-hand position. He's writing from a first-hand position. He had seen these events. He is a witness to these things. So when I walk into this, this book, I take it very strongly because of the fact of who wrote this book. Also, I understand that, that John is writing for a purpose. He's addressing things in our lives when we begin to doubt and if I went around in this room and we had, if we had time, I could go up and down these aisles and every one of us go through times of struggling with doubt. Sometimes we wonder about what we believe and is it true? And we go through those times of doubt. So how do we begin to address them? There's different ways in which I personally go through those times. Sometimes I go back simply to remind myself of particular truths that I begin to learn about in my walk with God. And I remind myself, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I believe that. Well, if I believe that, it leads to some other things. And so therefore, it impacts the way that I believe. Well, I believe chapter 9 does that as well. Now, keep in mind, chapter 9 is right after chapter 8, right? Something you probably didn't know until I just said that, I'm, I'm sure. But if you remember in chapter 8, Jesus in verse 12 of chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. And a powerful statement about who he is, that he is the light of the world. Well, the Pharisees had an issue with that because they felt like Jesus was kind of propping himself up. 
And so they begin to challenge Jesus where he came from. And the, and the discussion grew even more and more uh, confrontational. As Jesus would say, well, you are, uh, you are of your father, the devil, that liar, that deceiver. And I'm of God. And they went back and forth and they actually accused Jesus because of being born out of wedlock, being born in, 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 a, in, in such a way that was so... Um, uh, was just not seen very well. Uh, my, I always think of my mom, you know, my mom was 17 when she became pregnant with me, didn't know my father. Lived in a community where if you wore lipstick, you went to hell. Can you imagine what she went through? You know? And, and I think of Jesus, you know, that his family, Mary, his mother, and, and Joseph as he overlooked them. What, what did they go through as a family, right? Very difficult. And they brought that out. Can you believe that in chapter 8? Accusing him. And finally, Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. In other words, he was identifying the God of Israel, that I am God. And the Pharisees exactly knew what he was saying. They picked up stones and were ready to throw at him. And it says in the text that he hid himself, the last verse of chapter 8. He hid himself and he went out of the temple. I always love those kinds of things in the scriptures because it's like, I mean, how did he hide himself? Did he just step behind a door? Or, I, I hope God has some of those moments on, on like video when we get up top because I just want to see, you know, did Jesus just kind of walk through the middle of them or, or what? I mean, I would love it because this is the creator. This is the sovereign one. They had no control over his life except what he gave. And there's nothing any different. Now here he is, we're walking into chapter 9, and it says in verse 1, as he passed by, he sees this man who was born blind. I can't imagine a life of being blind. Um, I probably shouldn't, I don't know if I even say this. Sometimes I'm the last one at night that goes to bed, right, usually in my home. So I, have to, I always kind of shut all the lights out. Well, usually when I shut the kitchen light out, I have to kind of walk through the living room and into my bedroom and all. And I kind of get a kick out of it that I can walk through my house with my eyes shut, basically, right? Kind of walk through that. But it's because I've learned if I put my hand on the couch, it follows me around to here. I learn how to get around. But what if I had to live every day like that? I can't imagine. Here is this man born blind, and we find him in the text in verse 1. It says, as, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man, born blind, or a man blind from birth, verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be blind, born blind? Can you believe that question, the audacity of these disciples? Like, whose sin has brought this calamity on this individual? That his there was a common belief in Judaism that if you were sick or if you had blindness or you, you were deaf, it was a result of sin in your life. And so therefore, when they saw the blindness and they saw the sick, they knew it was because of sin. I mean, they're only getting their just, just due because of their iniquities. In fact, it's even told that like you would go where, well, why would they say if he was born blind, it would even be on him. It would have to be his parents, right? Well, there was even belief that if if a mother who's carrying a child went into a heathen temple and worshiped and committed adultery, that child also committed adultery while she was carrying them. It was just, when, when we focus on what we do, when we try to focus on the law and control behaviors, we always go astray. The Holy Spirit is more than powerful enough to transform a life through the good news of salvation, the gospel. That life can be transformed 
But they were looking around. Remember Job and his three friends? And they came to, they came to Job, and Job had lost his children, lost his, every, all of his property. His wife left him. He had nothing. He's sitting in ashes. And they're looking at him going, what sin have you committed? And he says, I have committed no sin. And they didn't believe him. I mean, if you read the book of Job, they, they were sure somewhere, somehow, he committed some type of sin. And so it was that mentality. And Jesus replies, and he, doesn't, he says, it's not the sins of his parents or of this man. Look at it in verse 3. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned or his, nor his parents, but it was in order that, we, uh, that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, I don't know about you. When I first read that, I... I think if I was that man and I'm sitting there and, and this conversation's going on and I've spent most of my, in fact, my whole entire life blind and I hear that, wouldn't you be a little upset? I mean, that God just chose to make me blind so he can show his works? One of the things I begin to realize in my walk is one of the most important aspects of my walk with my God is to understand one simple truth. He's the king and I'm the servant. He gets to do what he wants. And many times we struggle with that, especially in our culture, in the American culture, that we, we question God and we, we struggle with the decisions of God. And sometimes he's trying to do something through us in such a way to glorify himself and make himself known. And he uses us in, in the process. And he used this man. It's, it's a, you never read in the text any kind of a negative response Maybe because he's, he's healed quickly and he understands that God was meaning this, but still he spent most of his life as a blind person. And that, that would be a struggle. Are you, are you in, your, in your life willing to allow God to do things in your life that makes life uncomfortable in order to show his glory? In fact, verse 5, he goes on, he says, While I am in the world, and here he says it again, I am the light of the world. This is, this is, this is a powerful statement. You know, when we think of light, we think of its effects. You know, like, like when the sunrise comes up and it goes out over the horizon and, and we see the, the, the sun begin to illuminate the horizon and the land. I still remember the Grand Canyon when the sun came up and it began to expose and show the beauty of the Grand Canyon and of the landscape and all that was, that was going on. We think, of, we think of a light in that way, but also in this case, where, the way that Jesus is using it, he's saying, I'm also the light of the world. And it's, and it's a confrontation. It's a confrontation about who he is and how you're going to respond. I always say everybody responds to the gospel. Everybody responds to Jesus. Some believe and some don't. Some just kind of take a nonchalant, but that's still disbelief. Jesus confronts us, and in this passage, he's going to confront us. And when you talk about when you talk about him being the light of the world, you're having to make decisions about which side you're on. He said this back in chapter 3 of John, if you remember. He said there, he said, the light came into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Why did they love darkness rather than light? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be what? Exposed. But he, or whoever, does what is true comes to the light. And the picture is, is that here's the light being exposed. It's kind of like when I was working construction, and I was just out of high school, and I was working construction, and everyone knew what I believed. I mean, I was, I was 
pretty, you don't work with me very long, you don't know, you, you, you'll know my faith. And I had all these construction guys, and they had all different kinds of lifestyles, as you can imagine. And I can remember around me, they'd start, they'd start getting around me, and they'd start going, uh, you know, talking in a colorful way, and then they'd say, excuse my French. And I always, I always kind of chuckled at that, and it used to bug me a lot. So I used to say, well, you know I'm not the one you have to apologize to, right? You know, I'm, I don't really care what you say, but there's another one that cares about you, right? I was, used to get bugged by that because why would they say that? Because as you show Christ, it begins to expose darkness. And here's the picture and what is going on here is Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the one showing light. And it's going to cause a confrontation of belief or rejection. And he goes on in verse 6 and it says, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Verse 7, and, he, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And he so went away and washed and came back seeing. Praise God, right? So Jesus knelt down, he made some clay out of the mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash off. When he washes off, he now sees for the first time. And when he comes back, everyone's amazed. Verse 8, <clears throat> verse 8 goes on and says, The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Isn't this not the one who used to sit and beg? See, they recognize this scene. You see, in the Old Testament, if you were to go in the Old Testament, you would never find in the Old Testament any record of a healing of somebody who was blind or born blind. It's not in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go into the New Testament... When you look at the New Testament, nobody else uh, uh, does any kind of healing of the blind. None of Jesus' disciples or nobody else. The closest might be Ananias. When, remember when Paul had scales over his eyes for temporary blindness and he prayed over him and the scales fell so that he could see again. That might be the closest. But other than that, no one else performed that miracle of, 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 of the blind seeing other than Jesus. And Jesus himself did this miracle of, of helping the blind to see more than any other category of miracle. What a, what a major significance and understanding that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he now helps this blind man or he heals this blind man that he might see, what a statement about who he is. In fact, when you look at it, the, the Jewish believers, they should have understood that this was the Messiah. Because in the Old Testament... It says that giving sight is associated with the work of God. In Psalm 146, verse 8, it says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And when you think about messianic passages that are in the Old Testament, it says this about, G, about the Messiah. In Isaiah 20, 29, 18, it says, And on that day the deaf shall hear words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Also in Isaiah 35, chapter 35, verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind will open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. If there was any miracle that should have been done among the Jewish people that would have signified that he was a Messiah and he was a sin of God, it should have been the, the healing of the blind that they might see. It, it should have been a clear message. It should have cleansed away all doubt about who Jesus was. And so when he comes back and his neighbors see him, they're going, hey, isn't this the guy that was sitting begging? In verse 9, it says, others were saying, this is, 
This is, he, uh, th- this is he, still others were saying no, but it looks like him. In other words, they feel, well, I, I think it's him. No, I don't think it's him. It kind of looks like him, but it's not him because he was blind. And he's standing there going, no, it's me. It is me. And you look at verse 10, it says, therefore they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he gives a simple answer. The man who is called Jesus, notice at this point he only knows Jesus is a man. He's just some man walked by and healed me at this point. He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. It's interesting. It's interesting that their reactions is that they begin to realize most of them knew, hey, this was the guy that was begging and now he sees. He was blind, but now, now he sees. So what did they do? In verse 13, it says, they brought him to the Pharisees, who were, him who was formerly blind. In verse 14, now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. It's, it's interesting that they, they bring this man to, Jesus, to the Pharisees. And I'm standing there, and I've often asked, why did they do that? I mean, why did they bring this man who's been healed, who was blind, why would they bring him to the Pharisees? I, you know, all the different reasons why. I, I came up with two that I, that I think are possibilities. One is, it's a miracle, right? I mean, I mean, a lot of the people knew that God was going to be the one that would open eyes. Wouldn't this be the, potentially be the Messiah, the, the one sin of God? Isn't this man from God? Obviously, I mean, look at what he's just done. Look at what he's just accomplished. He's, he's healed this, this person who has been born blind, and he's made him to see. Surely he's sent from God. And the Pharisees in their day would have been the ones to, to determine that. Or secondly, maybe they were bringing him to Jesus, and some of them probably were. Or, I'm sorry, not to Jesus, the Pharisees. Because, you know, Jesus had performed some, a miracle here, but he's broke some Sabbath laws because it was on the Sabbath. There were some laws here that, that Jesus broke, and, and we can't just look past them. In fact, it says in verse 15, again, therefore the Pharisees were asking him how, how he received sight, and he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed and I see. And then some of the Pharisees were, were split by this, because some were saying in verse 16, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, that was a huge, huge point. There's probably two or three things possibly that Jesus broke in this simple miracle. You got to remember that the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, they, they, they took the law, the, the Ten Commandments and the laws that were given in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the scriptures and other laws that were in the scriptures, and they expounded on them. They determined that, you know, to carry your bed on a Sunday was work, so therefore that was breaking the Sabbath. It doesn't say any of that in the Old Testament, but they come to that conclusion, therefore made it a law. And they came up with different laws in, that would be broken in the, in, in, the, in the Scriptures, and so the Pharisees would have probably named two or three here. One was making clay, because it was prohibited on the Sabbath to kneel. You know, like when you kneel flour or whatever to make bread, well, Jesus, he spat in the ground and he had to kind of work that up a little bit and to make a little paste, he, he, would, have been, he would have been kneeling. So he broke the Sabbath law. Second thing he would have might, might have done is he took that, that stuff, and he, that clay, and he put it on his eyes. He, he anointed. Well, you don't anoint on, Sunday, on, Saturday, on the Sabbath. 
I'm going to call it Sunday, and if I do that, just know I'm talking about the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, by the way. So he put it, he put it on his eyes, right? So that, that was breaking the Sabbath law. And the third thing he did is, you know what? You weren't supposed to do any miracles or any healing on the Sabbath unless someone's life was at stake. So Jesus made the mistake. He saw the blind man. He said, hey, I'll be back tomorrow and we'll get this taken care of. But it's the Sabbath. I can't do it today. Well, there's nothing in the Old Testament law that forbid Jesus from giving this man his sight. But in the, in the Jewish mindset, in the Pharisees' mindset, where they re- began to look at this, and, and now they're split. We see in, in verse, um, in, down in verse 16, it says, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can, this man, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. It all depends on where you started from, Really? If you think about it, if you started from the, from the miracle and you said, my gosh, only God can do that, how do you not say this man is from God? You, you come to that logical conclusion if you know the Old Testament, you know the scriptures as it speaks about God. Surely this man is from God. But if you start from, from their, their traditional law that they held, he broke the Sabbath, he could not be uh, from God because he's a sinner. And there was the quandrum in which they found themselves. It's the idea that here now the light of the world is in front of them and they're confronted with this light. And how do they respond? And some say, well, he's from God and others rejected. Verse 17, it says, they said, to, said therefore to the, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes and he said, he is a prophet. Now notice something here. A minute ago when they asked him what happened, he said a man named Jesus. Now they're asking him, since your eyes are open, what do you think who, or who he is? And he says he's a prophet. Not the prophet. There's a reference in the Old Testament of the prophet who is a reference to the Messiah. That's, that's not here. The article's not there. It's, it's a prophet. He's just, maybe he's a prophet. Verse 18, the Jew, Jews therefore did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So what do they want to do? They don't, they don't believe him. There's no way. We know Jesus is a, is a sinner. There's no way this happened. Let's call in his parents and find out if he was truly blind from birth. Verse 19, it says, and, and they questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So there's two or three parts of this. His parents answered him in verse 20 and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. There's the facts. Really, the main facts you need to know. That is our son, and he was born blind. There's others that saw him blind. They saw him begging. There were neighbors and friends that saw him, and that he had no sight. And now he has sight. How did that happen? In verse 21, they respond, the parents, but how, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He shall speak for himself. In other words, he's old enough. Let, let him answer for himself. And then in verse 22, his parents said this. Gives us a motivation. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him, Jesus, to be Christ, he should be put out, they should be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they would be ostracized. 
And the parents didn't want that, so they didn't want to give any credit to Jesus. So they say, go ask him. He's the one that couldn't see and now sees and ask him. So what do the Pharisees do? Like, like good investigators, I guess. In verse 24, it says that, that uh, they second time called him. It says, so a second time they called the man who had been, born, had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, it's interesting. What do they mean, give glory to God? Uh, there's a couple of possibilities. One, they're saying give glory to God for this miracle. Acknowledge God. That's, that's a strong possibility. But also maybe the possibility where in Joshua chapter 7, I believe it's about verse 14, where, man, I, and I did this the first hour, and I, I forgot the guy's name. In Joshua 7, he, he went, Israel went in, and they conquered a land, and he took some of the, the gold and the silver. Anybody can throw it out if you remember the name. I'm, huh? Achan. Oh, man, I knew that. I wanted to say, well, I'm not going to tell you what I was going to say. It was Star Wars reference, but I had Anakin stuck in my head. I'm like, well, that would really come out bad. Huh? Anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, once you get a little thought like that, you can't push it out. It's just, this is there. Anyway, Achan. Achan went out. When they were conquering the land, Achan saw some of the gold and the spoils, and he took some, and he took it and hid it in his tent. And through a process, they bring, they bring him in, and they say, Get, and they're telling him, hey, God sees all. Give glory to God. He sees all. Now tell us the truth. And I think that's probably the possibility here, that they're saying to this blind man who now sees, hey, God sees all. He knows the truth. Now tell us the truth. And then they say right after that, we know, and it's emphatic. It's emphatic in that we know this man is a sinner. And they're saying it in such a way that everyone else should agree with them and follow them in this agreement. We know this man is a sinner. We know you are not telling us the told truth because we know this man's a sinner. And if you're holding back information that would keep us from exposing him as being a sinner. That's, that, is, that is rough. He, he could be ostracized. He could be thrown out. And so what does he, how does he respond? In verse 25, he said, he therefore answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I love the simplicity of this answer. I don't know anything about him. But this I know, I was blind and now I see. You see in this story, you see the ones who, who start from the miracle and they progress in spiritual truth. And others start with the law and they degress. And then verse 26, they said, therefore, to him, what, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? Now, verses 27, really down through 23, is some of the most amazing verses in this chapter. Because he throws a proposition at them that they have no answer to. And in the simplicity of this unlearned, untrained man, he confounds these trained men in the law. And they have no response. Look what he says. <clears throat> Picking up in verse uh, 27. And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You, you do not want to become his disciples too, do you? Wow. I mean, are you wanting to hear again because you're wanting to follow Jesus? Are you kidding? kidding? We just said, he, we know he's a sinner. Why would we follow him? We just said, we abide by the laws of Moses. We follow him. God spoke to him. We don't know who, who this guy is. 
Are you one to follow him? Look what they say in verse 28. And they rivaled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And what they're saying here is that when we think about it and we look at it from their perspective, they know God spoke to Moses, right? I mean, God gave him the Ten Commandments. And, and by those commandments, by those laws, they begin to, to lay out. And the law has been the standard through their, for centuries for them. So we're disciples of Moses, even though Moses would speak of Jesus. But we're disciples of Moses, not of this man. We don't know where he's from. And then notice what, what he says in verse 30. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, verse 31, but if anyone is, is God-fearing he does, and does his will, he hears them, verse 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Verse 33, for if this man were not from God, he can do nothing. This is a powerful statement. What he's saying is, look, this is, a, this is an amazing thing. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. If he wasn't from God, he could do nothing. But this he did do. He opened my eyes that I might see. And the conclusion is, obviously, he's from God. And the Pharisees didn't like that response. They had no answer. So what did they do? They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? And they they put him out. In other words, your whole life, you haven't kept the law, the traditional law that the, was organized by the Pharisees, the rigorous commandments and, and laws that they had. You hadn't kept them. Who are you to be teaching us? And so they put him out. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I like that phrase, do you believe? It's really a double emphatic. In other words, the intensity of it is, do you believe? It's a summons to commitment. It's a summons to respond. It's a summons in the sense of that it demands a personal decision in the face of this opposition. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the question I would ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And by believing, you would have life in him. Do you believe? You see, Jesus walked into the world and he said, I am the light of the world. And there's never been more gracious, merciful, compassionate person than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's never been one who didn't cause us to make a choice, whether to believe or not to believe, whether to receive or not to receive. Every one of us faces that decision because Jesus entered into the world. And we have this record from firsthand account. And so I asked, do you believe? Verse 36, he answered and said, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. I love that. This morning he couldn't have seen Jesus, but now he can see Jesus. He's seen him and he is the one who is talking to you. Verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Do you believe? Have you responded in faith to Christ? 
You see, it's interesting when you look through this, this chapter, you see this, this, this spiritual progress from darkness to light of this blind man. In verse 11, Jesus was a man. In verse 30, uh, 17, he was a prophet. In verse 33, he was a man from God. In verse 30, he was, a, was son of man. And then verse 38, he's Lord. He's Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, worthy of our worship. It's interesting, those Pharisees that were there, and Jesus said, in fact, well, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into the wor- this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be- become blind. It's interesting because Jesus in chapter three said, I didn't come into the world to bring judgment. And there he's talking about the, the condition of the lost person, a person who's in iniquity and in their sin, that they're already in this path of condemnation. There's already a judgment that's, that's coming because of iniquity. You, we can't sidestep it. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, right? So there's this, there's this, this path. He didn't come to, to judge, but in this context, what he's talking about is he's come to force that choice. That, that all who would see would, would, would go to the light. In fact, they say in verse 40, the Pharisees, those that were with him, heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Are we blind also? Because the Pharisees are supposed to be the spiritual guidance of, the, of that generation. 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would, have, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sins remain. In other words, the picture is that because you, you say that we see, because you say that we've seen this miracle and we see that, but you rejected Christ, you don't see. It's a, it's a picture. To, to receive Jesus is to receive the light. To reject Jesus is to reject the light. The cure of blindness, of spiritual blindness, is belief. If they rejected Jesus, there's no cure for them because they rejected the cure. So I ask, do you believe? Every one of you here this morning has to come to a grips of of who Jesus is. And, And what do you believe? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that your spirit would just move among your people this morning. Father, there may have been some that came in today and and they don't know you and they don't know the grace and the mercy that is available through Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, that Jesus, when he performed this miracle, demonstrated that he was sent from God. So, Father, this morning, I pray your spirit moves among those that are here. The Lord... Those who may not know you, you would draw them to yourself this morning. Father, I pray for those believers that are here that maybe they've been growing a little distant from him, walking away from you, that this morning they would be challenged by your spirit to refocus in their lives, to recognize the sovereignty of God in your lives, to respond to the light, not to reject. Father, I just pray for each and every one that your spirit would move and do as you please and as you direct. In Jesus' name, amen.